This is exactly right. You feel the need to like quash your kid's tantrum by just giving them something to say, like, here, be entertained. That's a band-aid to the situation. Is it a long-term strategy? Probably not. Sitting in the uncomfortable moments as you learn as a parent is kind of, it's part and parcel of being a parent. And so if you sit there with your kid, when they're working through whatever, you might come out the other end just closer with your kid and knowing your kid better. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your life to the fullest. And today's show is Baby Unplugged with our guest, Sophie Brickman. Sophie is a writer, reporter, and editor based in New York City. Her work has appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Savour, The San Francisco Chronicle, the Best Food Writing Compilation, and the Best American Science Writing Compilation, among many, many other places. As the mother of three young children, she interviewed experts, academics, doctors, and innovators for advice and insight about the effects of technology on child-rearing and parenting. And in her first book, which we're talking about today, Baby Unplugged, One Mother's Search for Balance, Reason, and Sanity in the Digital Age, she weaves this in-depth research into a very personal, which it is, and often humorous, which it also is, journey of becoming a parent alongside her tech-loving husband, offering an engaging and illuminating examination of our tech-saturated world. Sophie, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I have to just start with the beginning of reading your book and um, the sleeplessness. Oh my gosh, uh, that brought me back uh, to our experience as well of the chronic sleeplessness and all the things that go through your mind as you're <laughs> wanting to roll over, dragging yourself out of bed, nudging your partner. I mean, has it changed for you? <laughs> Uh, you're asking me at a very particular point in my life because I have an eight-week-old uh, under my roof now, in addition to my Oh, wow. Okay. There were two people. Now there are three. Congrats. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and he's actually sleeping great, but sleeping great at eight weeks is not sleeping, you know, enough for me. Um, so I'm in the thick of it again, which is kind of, you know, an interesting time to be promoting this book. Um, but, you know, you can get by on less sleep than you think. You know, yeah, you're running on, you can. Running on like adrenaline and fumes at this point, but it's so far so good. Well, congratulations. So two girls uh, and now a boy. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Did you get to sleep before uh, he came? Did you have a period of time? Uh, you know, not really, you know, because yeah. when, one, yeah. when one is sleeping, the other one isn't. And then there's they just like parenting, at least in the early stages is like one transition after the next. So, you know, right, we just right. our two-year-old into a big girl bed and then there's just yes. there and then they're going to, you know, share a room. And so it's just, 
it's you're constantly pivoting, but I think we get we get pretty good at it. Yeah, we um with our three, um, I don't think we don't think we we were probably up to we felt two to three times a night for the first nine years of parenting mm-hmm. at least. It was um we just we're just catching up now. And you live I think. to tell the tale, right? Yes, There's exactly. There's light at the end of the tunnel, even if it's there in is. nine years. <laughs> yes, but it does bring up so many um ish things as as we're going to get into in your book about. What do you rely on for help? How do you use technology to, quote, be a better parent or be a more sane parent or raise a healthier, smarter kid? And I, I, let's start, though, with you telling everyone about you and your husband, because I think it just sets the stage for such a, um, like a wonderfully rich um, discussion about for technology or not technology? Totally. So he, he's he been a very game participant in my writing career from the beginning um, and a very good character and a good foil to me, I would say. So he his name's Dave. He works in tech. He loves tech. He likes gadgets. You know, he straps stuff to his body and monitors God knows what um, and really enjoys that. And, you know, this it, never, it didn't really come to a head for me and come to a, a critical breaking point until Ella, who's now five, was born. She uh, comes home from the hospital, day three of her life on the planet, and he strapped this smart sock to her that's going to track, I don't know what, it was oxygen intake or heart rate or like something. And I was a first-time parent, and I was anxious, and I didn't know how to take care of a baby. I never held a baby, really, before I had my own. Um, and so the promise of this gadget was like, we're going to help you, and your baby's going to sleep through the night, and everything's going to be great. And the thing went off, like some alarm went off in the middle of the night uh, with Twinkle Twinkle Little Star or Rockabye Baby or something. And I thought something horrible had happened. Like, I really think I lost 10 years of my life in that moment. <laughs> and we were living in a, you know, a five, a five story walk up and this Wi-Fi was really shoddy and it had just lost connection to the Wi-Fi. That was all that had happened. And so Mm. that moment, I suddenly was like, wait, you know, Dave is really into tech. I've sort of thoughtlessly let it enter our home. Now we have a baby to think about, you know, what should I really be doing? Where can it help? I'm like so stressed out already. And this one moment made me way more anxious. Is there tech out there that can help? Um, And then, you know, that question, a very personal journey about, you know, tech that's targeted at parents who are very anxious and vulnerable, a very Mm -hmm. vulnerable population. It's kind of changed as Ella grew up and started getting tech kind of marketers putting tech directly at her and directing that at her. So that's sort of like the two sides of the book is the first half is about tech for parents and the second is tech for kids. But um, but yes, Dave. I guess maybe I, I wrote the whole book to prove him wrong or something, <laughs> but, um, but it was, it, it, it's good to, it's good to have him around, you know? Um, yeah. he does, he does bring balance to the house. Well, and I imagine regardless of your findings and outcome, he probably still loves text just as much and is just as excited about it. 100%. Like he, yeah. he charges many devices every night on his bedside table. I don't know what yeah. to do, but he, he yeah. said it works for him. It's fine. It just didn't end up, most of it didn't work up, end up working for me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, so I was uh, sharing um, your book with my wife and things that I was learning about it. And um, we're 51. Our kids are between 17 and 21. And I, I feel almost grateful that we, you know, we came in with our kids at the tail 
like tech was just starting. I mean, when I we'll get to that when we talk about kids and all the screens and everything. But just from a parenting perspective, I had no idea what a snoo was. Like, is that how you pronounce it? A snoo? Snoo, yeah. Yeah, snoo. Mm -hmm. And um, so I got I'm out I guess I'm outdated. And and the technology behind the snoo and the the dilemma or the ethical questions that you're asking about does is a snoo good? I mean, regardless of how much it costs and who can have it and who can't have it, like, is it helpful and how and should, you know, so tell everyone those, I mean, I'm sure half, I mean, most people probably know what the snoo is. Tell everyone though, because not all of us do, what the snoo is and the, the, the pros and cons to this thing. The snoo is one of many sort of smart bassinets because it's all the smart nursery. So you can get a smart monitor that doesn't only, you know, pick up the audio, but also can pick up. Um, breathing and, and very kind of high tech stuff and use camera technology. And I don't even know what the words are, but it, it's a very, very high tech thing that's like NASA that you're bringing into your kid's nursery. <laughs> um, and, um, and there's like the smart stock that, that we put on our kid is also um, an example of it. And yes, they, you know, sometimes they can help like for sure, you know, and, and, and a lot of the smart bassinets, they rock the kid and they jiggle the kid. And like, that's a variant of, putting your kid in a bouncy chair and bouncing them kind of mindlessly when you're reading a book or, you know, it, you know, you want, you, you need free hands unless you have a real village around you. And, and so few of us do, um, you know, like you want to be able to hand the kid to another human for a little bit um, who loves and cares them. But if you can, yep. there are many ways you can do it. And, and you know, I think I, I started to wrestle with the question of really how different was it to put my baby into a smart bassinet that would sort of adjust its rocking to keep her quiet um, versus a bouncy chair? And I think, you know, you, you started this whole question saying that you kind of dodged a bullet in terms of technology. I'm certain that there were other anxiety provoking things, you know, when you were raising your kids that weren't sure. technology based. And like right. another kind of comforting takeaway that I learned from this is that, you know, mothers and parents have for millennia, you know, basically been wrestling with various forms of anxiety and lots of information and, and marketers coming at them, telling them that they should buy X, Y, Z thing. So yes, this is like, this is our generation's version of whatever mm -hmm. it was that you guys were, were grappling with. Um, yeah. And I think the ultimate you know, question I had to sit with, which I sat with for like the two years I was researching this is like, can you hack parenting? Um, you know, and that's kind of the promise of technology. And, and, you know, can you hack rocking and, and cuddling with your baby? Like, yeah, yeah, you can plug your kid into the wall. And you can you can do this now. Do you want to be doing it all the time? Right? What does it say right. about our culture that this is an option and that people, you know, are, are moving towards it because they're so stressed out and they don't have the support they need? Um, yes, the tech, you know, the tech can work. I just I spent a lot of time sitting with kind of uncomfortable questions about what what it really meant to to rely on technology and not sort of go mm -hmm. through the grittiness of of these hard sleepless nights and you know where where you could really take a shortcut and where you should right well and one of the thing one of the researchers that you um talked to interviewed um in the book you know basically comes says um hey here's the deal uh it takes a village and most people don't have a village anymore so um, you're kind of host, you know, it's kind of the message, right? So it's like, you need help. Yeah. So is that like, where did you come out with that? 
with that way of thinking. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Like you do need help. I, I have kind of the best setup, I think, of a modern village. I live eight blocks from my parents, um, which means, you know, I like them enough to not have moved across yeah. the country or even across town. Um, they're very integral in my kids' lives. They're around all the time. Um, I, you know, I worked from home largely before the pandemic even. And so, I'm, you know, I'm around, but it's hard, you know, parents need help. Uh, and there are, like, there are a million reasons why and a, a million possible solutions, none of which I think are readily available to us right now um, for a variety of reasons. But I think that's why tech, you know, all of its shiny wrapping and all of the messaging coming out of Silicon Valley is so appealing because, mm-hmm. you know, you are sleepless, you are crunched for time, you're getting you're getting it from all sides. And so you think, you know, I need a lifeline. Let me let me give this one a whirl. And by the time you've mm-hmm. given that one a whirl, you're on to the next phase of the kid's life. And it kind of is this 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 roller coaster. You you wrote It's clear to me more than ever before that there are specific research-backed ways to thoughtfully incorporate technology into our daily lives and to evaluate the new tech that continues to rapidly hit the market. I mean, this was what you set out to do, right? To figure out the, the answer to the question and then how to go about it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the, where that really came to a crux was involving screens. You know, every parent of my generation is, is anxious about screen time or aware of screen time or trying to justify it or trying to, you know, they don't know there are a million headlines coming at them every day saying that this is horrible or this is okay or whatever. And I kind of wanted to know, could you cut yourself some slack when you put your kid in front of an iPad? And if so, was it enriching or not? And there's a lot of data and studies that have come out of uh, particularly television watching. And and you can watch, you know, I sort of went into this thinking maybe television was the devil and like, do ne- never put your kid in front of a screen. That is, that is not what I, it's not realistic for me, frankly, to just completely excise that kind of technology from my life. Um, but more to the point, there can be really enjoyable things that come out of like cuddling up and watching various programs with my kids. Um, and that was one of the biggest takeaways. It's like, I spoke to somebody at Sesame Street, which is really lauded as being this wonderful program for, for, for preschoolers, you know, very, very thoughtful. And they have researchers on staff and they're, they're not just like throwing dreck up on the screen to keep little eyes glued to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even she, very, very high up creative there, was like, just watch with your kids. Please watch with your children. Try not to use it as a babysitter because mm-hmm. you can talk to your kids about it afterwards. You can engage them on what was going on. Like that is so critical to young kids who are developing. You know, it's called the, the term of art is called serve and return interactions. You want to have as many of those as possible. And like, we're doing that now. We're having a conversation. It's all about like mm-hmm. serve and return. That's one mm-hmm. thing you can do. Another concrete takeaway is trying to look at how quick and fat, like how fast based and how many cuts um, are happening on screen. And if you look mm. at stuff like Mr. Rogers, if you look at Sesame Street, it's, you know, it's one, one television camera or one camera and it's slow. You know, he talks real slowly. He like puts his cardigan yep. on one yeah. like, <laughs> at a time. And it just, yep. you know, it t- he takes his time. And if you look at a lot of the modern shows, it's like, frenetic neon colors and things zinging around and and like understandably a little kid whose brain is developing you kind of get hooked you know you can't look away but uh that's not necessarily a good thing you know like Mm -hmm. you want the kid to be able to sort of transition into the next activity um 
And one other thing that like another really lovely takeaway that I like a concrete piece of information that I now use that um, one of the researchers I spoke to told me is to try to see what happens when you take the tech away from your kid. So like give them an iPad, if you take it away and they have a meltdown, you know, that's probably an indication that like something is a little bit awry. If you do the Mm -hmm. same thing with a book or a block, like likely your kid will not freak out. Um, I don't know that many kids under the age of, you know, five or 55, where if you take their toy away, they don't have a meltdown. So, you know, it's it's a nice way to evaluate stuff. Yeah, yeah, that dopamine suck that those some many of those uh, tablets are designed to do. I was just thinking, you know, you had me thinking about, okay, what was our what was our thing? Well, um, baby Einstein. So baby Einstein was the biggest thing it was gonna, um, you know, increase your child's brain power and it's classical music and connect neural networks. Oh my God, our kids sat in front of baby Einstein and there wasn't much to talk about with baby Einstein. I mean, we laughed together. We were in the room a lot of the time, but it was also a babysitter. And then, you know, a couple years later, however long it's like, oh no, baby Einstein is not good for a kid's brain. And, you know, so it's like, there's always there's something. Legal. There was like a big legal, legal battle about that, right? Yeah, remember. yeah. It was um, we're like, oops, point. oops. I mean, I still hear those so- songs in my <laughs> head. It was played so much. Um, so these things are always like you're like you said, every generation, there's these things and um, hopefully researched. Um, but like everything else, you don't know until something's been on the market for a pretty long time, you know, for a while. Um, and in looking back, like Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, I mean, decades of um, great research and experience versus some of these other things that just keep totally. coming out. Like particularly apps, you know, like I kind of I had to split my research into I kind of like, you know, when I wrote, this is maybe too granular, I wrote the book proposal and I was like, screens, that'll be one chapter, but it's like this massive thing that has multiple different components. And so there's programs that you put your kid in front of and they watch it passively. And then there's, you know, interactive apps and the apps, like the app store hasn't been around for very long. And so the the real studies that you want are like longitudinal studies they are 10 years plus. It's like, we just don't have that information. I wasn't, I was impatient, you know, cause like my kids mm-hmm. right now and like, she wants to play that app. So I tried to figure out, you know, find the, the leading researchers in the space to figure out what could these, what could kids really learn from screens and using, you know, using their iPad. And even before I started researching the book, I was speaking to Ella's preschool teacher and she told me that one of her students like had very, had a lot of trouble with blocks and like sorting shapes um, which is, you know, a skill that kids learn and putting all the triangles over here, all the red things over there, whatever the case may be. And she talked to the parents and she said, you know, this kid is having problems with this. And the dad said, oh, she does a shape sorting app every day with, you know, on my phone. And she said, you know, there's something I don't know, but there's something going on where the kid can't translate what's on the screen into the real world. And when I got into the nitty gritty research, that's exactly what's happening. Like kids mm. of a certain age that when they're still figuring this out, they don't, they can't take the 2D work and make it 3D work. It's just too complex for them. Mm. Um, it's called a transfer de- deficit. And so maybe app developers will be able to figure out something in the future where the stuff that's going on on the screen is more tactile or I don't really know what. Right Right, now, it's like the jury's out. And so as a mom, I was like, if the jury's out on this, like, let me just pull back on that for a while. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's judgment call, right? That's where, um, I mean, because you also talk about being compassionate, really. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like there aren't these hard, fast rules. It's having to figure out 
you know, get your information in context of your life situation and and kind of make a call about what you allow, what you don't allow, how long you allow it for. For sure. And, you know, I I would find myself talking on the phone with like neuroscientists or or like or people who are who deal with different types of science and saying, like, what is the number of hours the kid can go? What is this? And they all were like, it's your kid. She's a human. Like, I don't know what the right number is, you know, like probably right. the right number is less than what you're doing now. But you're like your kid is different from every other kid. And, you know, your your the largest sample size is is still too small. Um, you, right. you know, you, you need to make that judgment call on what works for your kid might not work for another kid, which is why this is all so gray. You know, mm-hmm. and there is definitely mm-hmm. real concrete takeaways that I came away with that I put in the book, but like, it, that's what parenting is, right? I mean, you know, you, you're, you're raising or have raised three kids. It's like, you're yes. constantly making judgment calls. Yes. Um, yes. Raising it. It doesn't end. Doesn't for, end. For, <laughs> it doesn't end for quite some time. Um, you know, I was just having another conversation, um, with someone who was talking about how the American Academy of Pediatrics and several others have, are are kind of moving away from what used to be one hour at this age and two hours and a half hour, because we really don't, we really don't know. And it's really more of like guiding principles, like you're talking about than actually hard, fast numbers. Absolutely. And you know, my sort of another another guiding principle that I've come to live by is something that my grandpa always used to say, which is everything in moderation. And like, mm-hmm. and that's really true for kids. It's like they need, yes, they can have a little screens, but like make sure they're playing, make sure they're reading. You know, that's actually probably not in moderation. Like you really can't read too much to little kids. Um, right. But like make sure they're reading, make sure they're playing. If they're bored, it's okay. You don't need to constantly like, zero in on every moment and enrich that moment, which is something that I mm-hmm. think often screens uh, help right. or enable. Mm-hmm. So you came in, um, as those of you, when you read this book, I mean, the introduction just grabs you, you know, it's like, it's like you're part of your story and you're on this quest and you're on this quest to basically, you know, in a way you want to learn more. And you, as you said earlier, like you want to show like, this is bad. I got to find tell show my husband like this is bad for our baby. This is bad for us. And so were you also f- pleasantly surprised? I mean, you are a journalist, so I know you come in with neutrality. You're really searching for answers whether wherever those answers fall. What were the s- surprises that you found? I mean, are you asking like for surprises where tech was really helpful and really good? Or just, or just that you didn't, yeah, just that you didn't expect, yeah, both really, like that you didn't expect to find. So the the main one I think that I didn't expect to find. So I grew up with my dad was very tech savvy, but being tech savvy in like the eighties and nineties is different from now. But we were one of the first families I knew of to have a dial up modem, you know, and we had more like a dial up yeah. car phone that was like one of those huge enormous phones. Oh, you, know? you were ahead of it, yeah, we were at yeah. the cutting edge of technology, yeah. and so you know that was the beginning of the digital age. And so um, I think my, you're told that more is better, like more data gathering or more enrichment or more everything is kind of better when it comes to the digital age in a lot of ways. My big takeaway, which I may have already said, honestly, is like boredom when it comes to kids development is not something to shy away from. And that, you know, if your kid is sitting alone and has to figure out what to do with this ball and this block, and they kind of create their own 
depending on what age they are, they create their own entertainment or their own imagination or whatever, like so much more is going on in their brain than if you give them a toy or a screen or something that does all that work for them. And so Mm -hmm. this idea that like you should slow down and that kids will find the learning around them, like they have more than enough input from the world around them in, in, you know, 99.9% of cases that we're talking about that like they don't need that much. They don't need, mm-hmm. they need a, like a, a, you know, a bowl from the kitchen cabinet and some balls. Ella used to, she used to sort, not sort laundry, but when I was doing laundry, she would like take this, the socks out and put them back in the hamper. Like she loved doing that. That, that was mm-hmm. the appropriate level of enrichment for her at that, at that phase. And yeah, you know, there are a lot of companies, not a lot, but there are a handful of companies that will send you toys based on your kid's age of like, they're they're developmentally now ready for this. And they're developmentally now ready for this. And I spoke to a researcher who said, that's, you know, the kid will play with a toy in a different way as they grow up. You don't need to consult your catalog and say like, okay, he's four months, he's grasping, he needs that. Um, you can let them essentially find the magic and the learning. Like you don't, you don't need to do so much. You don't need to be so mm-hmm. actively involved in this. It was right, comforting, right. you know. It like it right, takes the right. anxiety away. Like just chill out. They they grow up. Right. That's what they do. You know. The greatest gift that we could have given our son, which we never, rarely did, as the primary gift when he was young, was a giant box. I mean, like he was, he could spend days, weeks, sleep in it, make a spaceship. It was just a box. And that's all, that's all. And so again, and that box changed over time. So, um, it, you know, it brings me to the question of smart toys, regular toys, natural household items. What did you find is the difference between these things? There's a real, there's a spectrum out there that kind of goes from like your, you know, a, a, a spoon in the kitchen to some beeping, squawking toy that will talk to you and learn your name and, and stuff. And that is on the horizon of sort of like smart toys that know you and know your kid. Um, there's a, there's a, a I guess a, a, a parenting philosophy called RIE, R-I-E, um, which stands for Resources and in Infant educators and it kind of like got a, a kind of snazzy moment because a couple Hollywood celebrities were you know were were a part of it um, but they have what could seem as a kind of an extreme view on this but I took away a lot of comfort from it which is like toys are marketed but play objects can kind of be anything. And so mm. you can go through your kitchen, you can go through your closet, like you can give them a cardboard box, you can give them a toilet paper roll. Um, they will turn that toilet paper roll into an ice cream cone or a, you know, something to play pretend doctor with or whatever. Um, and their philosophy is is active, passive toys, active babies or that, that something mm. like that, which I think is mm-hmm. a nice way to look at it is that the more the more active the toy is, the more the toy does for you, the less the kid has to do. And that, that literally means like they have to move less. And, you know, part of development is like moving around and gross motor skills and fine motor skills and like putting things in your mouth and seeing what they taste like and what they feel, you know, that's why like board books are so thick is so kids can kind of chew on them, honestly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, can Mm -hmm. they're indestructible. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of toys that are sleek and, you know, enhanced kind of, you miss, you miss that opportunity 
Um, even though right, you're right. well-meaning, you might want to give it to your kid and see, see if they like it. Something that you take on, uh, which really had me thinking, is that whole idea of um, taking pictures of the moment versus being in the moment. And I know, um, you know, not having, I mean, we had all the camcorders, which no longer exist, and all the pictures as well, too. And I think on vacations and such, you know, you sometimes spend so much time behind the camera trying to capture the moment, like you're not in the actual moment, you're waiting to look back at that moment and go, Oh, wasn't that a great moment? And and that's something that you know, you have thoughts about. Totally. I mean, I, I kind of went down a, a deep and very fascinating rabbit hole involving psychology and neuroscience and like what the purpose of memory is. But I mean, I like I have a seven, I have an eight week old, you forget with the third, he's eight weeks. Yeah. Old. <laughs> and, um, and I've taken a million photos of his feet, you know, like, they're so cute. Like, I want, you know, I want to capture this moment forever. Um, but if you really start to think about the, you know, what you get when you can, you have a phone in your pocket, and you can take a photo at any moment, like you're in this constant tension always of if you want to be right. in the moment or if you want to capture it. And and I think my ultimate takeaway is, you know, your memory does an enormously good job of filtering out the important moments for you. Um, and if you really think about how often you're going back through your photos, for me, it's like, it's not thoughtful. It's like when I'm standing in line at the grocery store or something, you like scroll through, it's fine. But like, you're not printing those out and framing them and putting them up and remembering them all the time. So yes, of course, you're going to take photos and share them. But, you know, kind of try to be conscious about what the end goal is, you know, mm -hmm. is the end goal to right. improve your memory of that moment? Is it to be able to yeah. share with people? And if you're sharing it, like, who are you sharing it with? And are you concerned about privacy stuff? Are you concerned with, you know, posting things of your kid before they're old enough to say yes or no, I want that posted, you know, of me forever. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a right. lot of considerations that come with it, Of course, you know. I sent my manuscript in like two days before the pandemic shut down New York city. And so I suddenly was like, wait a second, uh, right. I'm going right. to rewrite everything. And one thing I was anxious about was like this photography thing. Cause my parents couldn't see the kids. Like, of course mm -hmm. I was taking photos of them all the time. So there is a, there's a use case for it, but it, it helps to have a, a little bit of like a framework of, of why you are taking so many. Yeah. And you added, um, I appreciate you added to your introduction about like, uh, all right, hello, now that there's a pandemic, I'm going to add on to the intro. And, um, and yeah, this is screens and technology sustained us through the pandemic, right? I mean, it connected us, uh, okay. kept people from isolation, kept people learning to some degree, um, some more than others. And, and so it is this, uh, we have this very conflictual, um, interdependent, in a sense, relationship with technology. And the theme that I hear you saying um, and read is about being mindful and to be asking the questions yeah. before you just automatically take the phone out, hand a tablet, download an app. You really wanting people to think about various aspects of that act. Absolutely. And I like, honestly, part of the reason I wrote the book is I found myself between these two very extreme camps 
Um, you know, one, one camp was like, stay off the grid and don't show your kid a phone. And if you show them a phone, then they're going to get, you know, emotionally messed up and they're not going to be successful. There's that camp. And the other camp is like the Silicon Valley. Let's date, get a ton of data, crunch numbers and be like, your kid slept for two minutes on this day. And then the pacifier came out and then you like, there's just so much information. I wanted to, you know, be in the middle. Like I'm in the modern world. I use my phone. I have to, because of work, I need to be connected to people throughout the day. Um, I just wanted to, you know, take a breath. And and I realized like so many parents can't do that because they're going from one thing to the next. But because I'm a journalist, I was like, maybe I can just make this my work and my job, um, which is what I was able to do over the last two years is just kind of go, go get as much information and sort of synthesize it in a way that worked for me the best, the mm-hmm. best way. Those are the best projects, aren't they? They benefit you and they benefit lots of other people as well. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. So. so, okay. So when it comes to apps, which there are gazillions of apps, what, so what do you recommend to folks how to navigate apps and which, you know, in big picture to go towards versus stay away from? I think you, first of all, you need to do the work yourself and, and, you know, go and play the app for a while and see what, what pops up is the app, you know, encouraging you to make purchases in the app, which often happens is the app very manipulative. Like it's the character crying if you don't do X, Y, Z. I think that's Mm -hmm. sort of a simple thing to do, but I would, you know, apps in general, like, like I said before, it's very hard for young, young kids to translate anything that's on the screen into the real world. So if you're hoping that, you know, you can put your kid in front of an app and not, uh, not engage with them at all. And that they're like, they'll be spit out at the other end, like learning and problem solving and stuff like that, you know, fat chance, honestly. Um, you know, what I said before about television and watching with them, it's, it's sort of an, an easy, framework by which to evaluate various things like can you and I recognize people are putting their kids in front of screens so they don't need to engage with them I get Mm -hmm. it you you know and Mm -hmm. I think it's helpful to know when you're doing that and why you're doing it um but if you can engage with your kid and the device or if that device is a book if it's a block if it's a television screen if it's an ipad um you know it's better for everybody and it's really hard you know when I give my little girl a my phone or my the iPad, like her elbows come out. She's like, nope, this is for me and me alone. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, that's one way to evaluate what you're giving your children. Mm-hmm. So what are, I mean, for everyone, the book is filled with ideas and tips, but I'm, we're going to, since we have Sophie here, we're going to distill a few. Like what are your you know, for the, for all of us busy people, like what are like these three tips? Like if you could just say, here's three tips that I learned from my endless hours of research. Three tips. I would say always go for a book over a screen if you can. Mm -hmm. Um, And that read, there's like, I spoke to somebody who, um, you know, who's a pediatrician that works in the space and, and, he said, if I went to the top minds in the world and I said, you know, make me a device that makes kids smarter and more social and more emotionally, uh, you know, attuned and sweeter and smarter, what would they come back with? They'd come back with a book. So that's like <laughs> a, nice, a nice back, you know, a, a, yeah. a baseline. Um, yeah. I would say, you know, be cognizant of your kids' 
watching what you're doing and mimicking what you do. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, there was a teacher I, I learned of whose, whose preschoolers during free play would sit on the mat and pretend look at pretend phones and not talk to each other, you know, two and three year olds, which is like this dystopian, wow. horrifying wow. vision of the future. And so it's like, there are solutions that parents have come up with. Like some, some person I, I spoke to literally has a lock box on their frontal table. So they take off their shoes, they take off their coat and they put their, their phone away. And, you know, I'm not as extreme as that, but I do, you know, try to put my phone in a different room for dinner and bedtime and like bath time and mm-hmm. just like, just designate a time of the day when you're not going yep. to be to your phone, if that's at all possible. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I think another just takeaway, which I said already, is like boredom's okay. So, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you feel the need to like quash your kid's tantrum by just giving them something to say, like, here, be entertained. Yeah, like that's a Band-Aid to the situation. Is it a long-term strategy? Probably not. You know, like mm-hmm. sitting in the uncomfortable moments as you learn as a parent, it's kind of, it's part and parcel of being a parent. And so if you, yeah. you sit there with your kid when they're working through whatever, you know, you know, you might, you might come out the other end, just closer with your kid and knowing your kid better, you know? Yeah. Well, and this, so everything you just said, of course, aligns with one of your main conclusions here that you wrote about, which is, so you wrote the gold standard, spending time with your children and playing and reading and talking with them may be tedious on some days and you're impossible on others, but it sure is a straightforward directive sprinkle in technology as needed but aim for it to be just that a sprinkle so it sounds like the take-home is like it's here to stay it can be useful but it should be a supplement uh, to our lives a thoughtful supplement to our lives and our kids lives absolutely um and and you know take your own temperature too not like you know what that the researcher said see what your kid does when you take the app away what happens when you stop gathering data away when you put your phone away, you know, like likely, at least if you're like me, you'll get a little calmer and a little more Zen. And I feel like, you know, the pandemic notwithstanding, we're all so tightly wound and we have so much coming at each other, like at ourselves, just, just take, give yourself a break. And I think that, you know, Mm. being plugged in, whether you're a kid or a parent often, you know, ratchets can ratchet up your anxiety. Mm-hmm. And to have that awareness. I mean, I know so many who uh, who have that awareness when they were on social media, they feel different. It's just like those of us who have to like get away from the news, right? Especially during some of the more heated political times. It's like, oh gosh, like I can't, I can't do, it's jacking me up. And so to know that about yourself um, with social media, and that's a whole other conversation as our kids get old enough and when to allow that, um, these are all just, they're really important things to think about, not only for our kids, but like you said, to take our own temperature and what it does to us. Absolutely. And, you know, give me another five years to write the next book about social media and my kids. I like, thankfully, I'm not there yet, but it's its on the horizon, you know? You, and, and, and you, uh, you will be a guide because I am very confident you will go out and um, check with all the researchers to see what to do. Um, Cause it is a thing. It is definitely a thing. Um, okay. Sophie. So now as a parent of three, I know you have many parent footprint moments to draw from. So here's the question. 
Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as a parent, as an individual, or an awareness of your parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on yourself, your kids, and those you love. So I have, as you said, 14 billion possible anecdotes. <laughs> One I thought that was like very, uh, cons- not, cons- not necessarily concise, but very to the point is um, the first time that we took Ella on a, a trip was my, my husband had a, a reason to, to be somewhere for work. And so he was like, why don't you guys tag along? So we took her on a flight um, and we were there for a little bit and it was great. And then the day of his presentation or whatever, I was walking around with her and she started throwing up. She was under a year old. And my pediatrician said, oh, just like give her, like nurse her a little bit. And then, you know, if she throws up immediately, you should go to the emergency room, but that's not going to happen. I was like, okay, great. And so I nursed her and she immediately threw up and I was like, okay, we have to go to the emergency room. So we went to the emergency room and there was a fabulous doctor there that I fell in love with. He was like, oh, your daughter is perfect. And like, here's, you know, she has some sort of gastrointestinal bug that she picked up and just give her this medication. So that was like one moment that was that was stressful. The next day we mm-hmm. got on a plane to come home and halfway through the flight, like I got what she had gotten and I was so sick. And like you're in a, you know, being sick in a plane is like something nobody wants to deal with. They had to wheel me off the plane. Um, and in that moment, and Ella had, you know, gotten her medication and she was fine at that point. And I was feeling just horrible. I mean, like literally like being wheeled off a plane And I thought, I'm so glad that this isn't her. I'm so glad that she wasn't sick on the plane, that she's now okay. And I'm the one who's like feeling like Mm. hell warmed over and felt that way for 48 hours. And I, I, it was kind of a critical parenting moment of like, this isn't about me anymore. This is about her and her, Mm -hmm. you know, sanity and health. And, and I think, you know, there, there are little moments like that that happen every day where you're putting your kids before yourself and your own needs. But that was kind of a big, a big horrible moment that we go through to the other side. Yeah. That idea that, um, don't take her, take me. Right. Like that. It just, it just shifts. It totally shifts. Um, and it, it's life changing forever. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. So now I'm like, I'm on this journey forever. Here we go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Here you go. Um, yeah, that just reminded me of um, when my wife was traveling with R3, um, when I was at a work thing and, um, our youngest was sick and threw up all over the man sitting next to her. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Those, 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 those wonderful times, those survival times, um, particularly with young kids and, um, you're in the thick of it and, um, you are, you are still shining and radiating as I hear looking at you. Um, and so congratulations to you and Dave. And, um, I just also want to, uh, I just so appreciate your honesty and your transparency and your just realness in your writing because it really just brings people in to, I think, be vulnerable themselves um, and to be honest themselves that like this life thing is messy and there's not like a right or wrong. And we all have our own experiences that we bring to this. Um, and it's really about just trying to be thoughtful and and do our best while also being sort of kind to ourselves along the way. A hundred percent. You know, I hope that, that this, this book is a 
com- a, 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 a form of comfort for parents who are going through this, that like we've all been through this in various ways before and, and, and future parents are going to go through different versions too, but like we're all in this together and we're, we're doing our best, you know? Yes. That's yes. all you can do. That's all you can do. Sophie, thank you for uh, sharing all of your uh, research with us um, on your own professional and parenting journey. Where um, let tell everyone where they can continue to well, obviously to find the book, but also um, I know there's more from you uh, writing and researching. Yeah, I've been writing a bit for the Guardian. I have a website now that I had to get organized for this book. Um, yes, please buy this book at your you know local independent bookstore, ideally to support them all. And and I have another book in the works, but you know, like next up for me is nursing and <laughs> getting mm-hmm. some yes. if I can, where I can where I can grab it. Are you allowed to give us a um, teaser of the topic you're taking on, or does that need to stay behind the curtain right now? I don't know. Nobody told me I couldn't talk about it, so I'm going to talk about it. All right. Uh, you're the first year. Yeah. Um, during the pandemic, I lived with my parents. We, we all moved in together, and um, it was wonderful in many ways and maddening in others, but it really, you know, the pandemic really blew open this notion that the nuclear family, like, you know, a mom and dad and two kids, or two and a half kids, could survive. It's like, no, we can't. You need more people around. Um, and so multi-generational living is kind of like one way that that we can go around that. But there are a million others I started poking around, a lot of them fueled by technology, um, but in very thoughtful ways of how to bring people together specifically for families. So, you know, building wide ways of getting communities together and kind of forging a virtual real partnership, um, full cities that have been kind of rethought so that families get more support. Um, mm. And, you know, I when I started poking around, I expected a lot of hippy-dippy, like patchouli, uh, you know, commune things from the 60s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those exist, but there are very many, like, on the grid, very thoughtful ways of supporting families that kind of, that balloon up from, like, how you design a home to... Mm. You know, how buildings can come together, how neighborhoods can come together, how cities can come together, and then and like ultimately how virtually you can you can create community. And so again, this is a very a topic that's incredibly personal to me. Cause I sort of mm-hmm. was like looking at that point, I was pregnant, I was like, Oh my god, it's gonna be three on two. You know, what right. are you gonna do right. three on two? Like I need help. Yeah. Um yeah. and so and so that is what I'm poking around and researching. Nice. Again. Nice. And and a way of the future. I mean, it's something that's really so. important that we all uh, should be considering as our world is changing in many, many ways. It seems uh, all at once. Totally. All right. Well, we're gonna look. We're gonna look for that book. Um, and good luck with your research. And I hope you get some sleep. Thank you. This was a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. That concludes our show about Baby Unplugged. Check out this new wonderful book. And as always, share this episode with any other parent, anyone you know, grandparent, anyone who cares about kids to help them navigate this technology journey that we are all on. Thank you for being a part of our community. Try to be that person you want your child to become. And as always, I'll leave you with the question I ask myself every day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. 
Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.